This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, the home for serious journalism, only on America's Webradio.com. Coming at you after another beautiful uh, Memorial Day. And uh, just uh, going through the weekend, Dave, and some of the the adventures and the the, the rhetoric that happened. Your your president um, was at the G7 summit out in Japan, and in a somewhat controversial move, went to the uh, uh, memorial at uh, Hiroshima, Japan, where obviously the first uh, uh, nuclear bomb in history was ever dropped in an effort to end World War II without losing up to a million American lives, which uh, they estimated the uh, military had estimated that a mainland invasion of Japan, of, of the island of Kyushu, would have cost a million American lives. And as history has shown, the United States uh, and Harry Truman, the president at the time, decided to drop two nuclear bombs uh, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And that finally compelled the Japanese emperor to um, surrender and unconditionally surrender. That was kind of the negotiation back then. And that uh, that era certainly ushered in... Um, you know, the Cold War and the fact that we were capable of um, launching nuclear weapons and obliterating ourselves. Um, a lot of people say that it was a show of force to also prove to the Soviets at the time not to uh, trifle with the United States of America. Very controversial. So Obama goes out there on Friday as a little uh, little vacation from the G7 summit out there in, uh, in Japan and... He, uh, a lot of folks are saying he apologized for launching a nuclear weapon or, or setting off a nuclear bomb. And I posted about he apologized for us winning World War II, which my post was a little bit different because um, I, I, I did have some people ask me, please show me, Greg, and the, the testimony where exactly he apologized. Well, if you actually read the testimony, the whole tone of it was apologetic in nature. The whole tone of it was uh, capitulating to uh, the weaker stance that his entire presidency has advocated. Um, And I didn't see anything different from that. The fact that it was also on Memorial Day weekend was interesting, although I guess I can't fault him completely since it did coincide with the G7 summit. But it's just uh, more evidence of how tone-deaf this administration is when we lost, I believe, more than 400,000 American lives in World War II. We're actually losing, I believe, 400 a day. I saw um, a report that said there's about 800,000 World War II veterans still alive, but they're all 90 year older. And the report I saw said they were, we were losing 400 a day. That is that's hard to calculate, David. So what did you think about this little trip to Hiroshima? Are we making too much of a big deal out of it? Or was it the tone-deaf uh, administration that we've gone accustomed to during the past uh, seven-plus years? You're a veteran, so, I mean, did you – I, I always want to get the opinions of people that actually served. My, my feeling hasn't changed about Obama since day one, before he was elected. Uh, he's a coward. He wants to give away everything. He has destroyed. We, we're in sheer shambles as far as the military goes today. We need to get that 
get him out of office and get someone in. We can't do a Hillary. We can't do a Joe Biden. <laughs> and as I've said many times, mark my word, he will be the Republic or the Democratic candidate, Joe Biden. So, and we can't afford Joe Biden. We can't afford Joe Biden from the standpoint of the military. We can't afford Joe Biden from the standpoint of the Supreme Court. To answer your question directly, Obama has no clue, nor do his advisors, about World War. I don't think they've read history. I don't think they, you know, he he keeps touting that he was a constitutional professor. I don't, well, one, he wasn't a professor. He was a teacher. Yeah, what what constitution is he talking about? Yeah, exactly. The Sharia law. Certainly not the United States Constitution. Certainly not the Bill of Rights. No. And... uh, the sooner we get rid of Obama, and I don't much care how we get rid of him, the well, sooner luckily, he be, is he's gone. Ter- luckily, he's term limited, so uh, uh, hopefully, the, we hope. hopefully uh, the martial law isn't implemented that so many of our conspiracy I, theorists know, friends. At, at this point, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not a believer that he would pull that unless. You know, a lot of circumstances would have to happen, uh-huh. but you know, I've been amazed at some of the stuff that's happened now. Uh, I think if he tried to declare martial law, all hell would break loose, and you'd find out what the veterans think. You'd find out what civilians that love their country think. And I don't think martial law would get him what he wanted. It would get him deep trouble. But anyway, yeah. to answer your question, we have, we have no reason... You know, giving that speech, he never mentioned Pearl Harbor. He never mentioned uh, World War II. He never mentioned. All he said was, "We right. we shouldn't right. have done death, it, and death, we should one never his, do it again." One of his quotes: "Death fell from the sky." And yeah. I saw an immediate meme called, "Yeah, it was called Pearl Harbor." My grandparents told me all about it. So yeah. I, I thought that that was, uh, I guess, the Worthless. biggest insult was that he didn't mention the fact that the United States was attacked in that. Uh, you can you can be as conspiratorial as you want about FDR and everybody knew the Japs the Japanese were going to attack our Pearl Harbor, but uh, you know it was still there was more than thirty three hundred American lives lost. We were trying to avoid war with Japan immediately for the immediate time. Anyway, we needed to worry about the Germans. I mean, we didn't want to have to deal with a two front. Uh, uh, war on our part, so we certainly weren't quite ready to get into the war with Japan. It took us over a year to get everything completely mobilized. I mean, we and we didn't we, we didn't invade Europe until June 6, nineteen forty four. So, but we did, and actually, uh, <clears throat> you know, we we still we we had one carrier in the Pacific, and we also attacked Japan, uh, the Doolittle invasion, which. Woke him up that, uh, you know, as, as what, what, what was his name? Uh, MacArthur? No, no, uh, the Japanese. Hirohito. That said, uh, we Hi- are waking a sleeping giant. Yeah, I fear all we've done is waken a sleeping giant. And they, now, my concern is, given the same case, all Bush got, all anybody has gotten since 9 11 is grief. Right. We should have, you know, for a few days we were. Patriots, but shortly thereafter, I don't know what we became—a bunch of damn wimps—and it's even gotten worse with Obama. And I don't know any Japanese an apology for anything in 1940. Right, 
Well, and that's the thing that, uh, you know, this apology tour began his first year when he went to the uh, the Sharia law countries and apologized for the United States and our uh, unbridled uh, principles of, of religious freedom and the fact that we're not going to um, make our women dress up in uh, in burqas. We're, we're going to allow them to vote. We're going to allow certain human rights to, to go through that these uh, Islamic Sharia law countries don't allow. Uh, and apologizes for that. His whole term has been at least, uh, I think, described 100% as an apology tour. And if you ever saw the movie 2016, a lot of that is coming to fruition. A lot of the predictions uh, from Dinesh D'Souza are actually coming to fruition with Obama's uh, attempt to weaken the military. We still spend over $700 billion a year on the military, still protecting all of Western and, and now most of Eastern Europe. And it's it, it, we've been so weakened. We're we're now at yeah, a, you know, a standing you can, you can military power. You spend all the power. dollars you want, but if they're not spent correctly, you have what we have today. Right. And Which is and and it's a very uh, reliant on uh, technology. And you know, you could argue. I could I could tell Obama that his he apparently he loves the drones. He he loves that uh, aspect where you don't really have to get your hands dirty. You can uh, send death from the sky. I guess would be a uh, a nice euphemism for uh, for that. Um, you know, and, and it reminded me of something that I've talked about. I think on the show before, but you know, the last presidential cycle, everybody talked about the one percent. And there's been multiple studies done that shows that we now in the United States have the lowest participation in the military in our history. We are at less than 1% right now. There's 2.2 million Americans on active and reserve duty right now in the military. So that's, I mean, that's like 0.6%. So we, you know, we have these, uh, these holidays, Memorial Day and then Veterans Day, which a lot of people get the two confused. I don't really want to lecture people about confusing them. David, you're a veteran. Uh, I mean, you, you know the difference uh, clearly between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Memorial Day is supposed to be a somber occasion where we remember the dead that did not come home uh, from from the foreign seals, uh, seas and the soils. And Veterans Day is when you supposedly are supposed to thank the veterans that are alive and the uh, ones that have previously served. But to me, they are somewhat intertwined where we do need to always have a respect for our military and our military families and to uh, – you know, to be at such a, a low percentage of military participation now, and we've really started electing uh, a lot of uh, politicians that don't have any military service whatsoever, and they're the ones making these decisions about how to send our troops, where to send our troops, how to arm them, what kind of uh, uh, mission uh, should they have? Should they have the mission where we're uh, nation building? Did you? Go. Yeah, I, I, I've got to change the subject okay. for a second. Did you happen to see both of our heroes, and my hero because of you, uh, uh, Tonto on Fox yesterday? Yep, yep, Did, that was great. Yep. He has changed from the, the night that we met him, mm-hmm. and he said, I will not make this political. <laughs> Last night, he made it political. When he said Hillary Clinton has no soul? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought he was great. And yeah. Anybody that hasn't seen... 13 hours or read the book needs to read it and needs to see the movie and see exactly what those guys went through in Benghazi and if you dare vote for Hillary however she (laughs) won't be running uh, your prediction is Hillary will be incarcerated by the time the election comes around she'll be in the in the frying pan (laughs) 
the inspector the inspector general's report just came out and it has really uh, it, it is not quelling any of the furor for her uh, illegal uh, email and computer server, which basically put state secrets from the United States up into the cyberspace, up into the cloud for the Chinese and uh, the Iranians and almost anybody else to hack into. I mean, we, we can rest assured that anything that was on her computer server is now also on servers in Moscow and Tehran and maybe even Pyongyang. <laughs> if their computers are working today. You know, she's a disgrace. And anybody that would support and vote for her is a disgrace and should be considered a, tre- uh, a traitor. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we, Bernie's crazy, but um, I, I don't know if he's corrupt. We, Hillary Clinton is corrupt. And, and just to... Uh, uh, we got a couple minutes right before our first break. We'll have Sam Burnham on from All the Biscuits in Georgia uh, talking about some of the libertarian issues and the Libertarian Convention, which I will say the libertarians aren't exactly real good at press either. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about the uh, the Naked and Afraid episode that, that bounced out. And they also did this on Memorial Day weekend. Why would you – I don't know. Why would you do your convention on Memorial Day weekend? I have no idea. But today it was interesting to see Donald Trump. He was uh, had a press conference at Trump Tower and was able to talk about the $6 million that he raised for veterans. It was a very antagonistic interview, but uh, it was finally good for me to see somebody treat the press with the same disdain that they treat their subject matter. Uh, there was a lot of antagonistic questions and... I was wondering if we would see this same kind of fervor from the press with a Hillary Clinton interview. I, I think there's plenty of raw material on Hillary Clinton that needs to be invested, investigated, including the Clinton cash and, the, uh, of course, the emails and the classified materials she was sending. But anyway, we're going to take our first break. We'll be back with Sam Burnham in a couple minutes. You're listening to Greg's List. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. America's Web Radio is the most diverse and informative radio station anywhere in cyberspace. We have shows about health, 
business, current events, entertainment, home care, and everything in between. We appreciate your continued support of America's Web Radio. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Cool. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Joined now by Sam Burnham from the uh, website All the Biscuits in Georgia and one of my uh, compadres on the NPR show on Second Thoughts. And uh, Sam, welcome to Greg's List. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Man, I'm good. I uh, I uh, I felt so fortunate to have been on that panel with you. Uh, I guess it's about a month ago because uh, the show on Second Thought, it's on uh, GP, Georgia Public Broadcasting, NPR, WAB, 90.1. It's played all over the state, and uh, I'm typically the only right-leaning person on a panel with three or four other people. They're all fairly civil to me for the most part, but uh, I was on the show with Sam, and he's you know probably even more to the right of me as a a uh, announced uh, libertarian i'm a republicanarian sam is a, uh, a self-described libertarian and uh, what did you think about that when we they had two of us on the show at the same time that was that was amazing it is a little bit different to have two more conservative type people i i'm not actually a card carrying libertarian but <laughs> i tend to identify with them more than with the republicans now yeah, I uh, and that's kind of the the identity crisis that the Republican Party is going through a little bit. Which uh, you know, you've got some of the younger Republicans who really dislike Donald Trump immensely. Uh, yet Trump was able to get a plurality in most of the states, and then by the time uh, we got to the the Northeast and uh, several of his um, his more uh, yeah Yankee areas, he was able to get margins, and and he had more than fifty percent of the vote, and was just kind of steamrolling everybody. So for the small percentage of people that actually vote in Republican primaries, Donald Trump became the nominee. And I think much to the horror of uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, the moderate Republicans who are now having to kind of say, you know what, what am I going to do here? Am I going to vote for Donald Trump? Am I going to do this hashtag never Trump thing? Am I going to vote for Hillary, which I think is the absolute worst choice? Or am I maybe going to look at the Libertarian Party and uh, Gary Johnson became the uh, nominee this weekend? And I know you were watching some of it, but uh, tell me a little bit about the Libertarian Party and why you... Maybe you're not a card-carrying member, but you tend to identify more with libertarians. Because I think a lot of Republicans are starting to shift that way uh, until we had naked and afraid moment. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I tend to identify with them more because I believe that our, uh, the physical conservative values that they carry on, I think that's very important for a country that's as far in debt as we are. And we seem to have a way of electing politicians that tell us that they're conservative and that they're physically conservative, and then they go to Washington and they spend huge sums of money, borrow money from foreign countries and even from ourselves, however they manage to pull that one off. And we always wind up in even more debt by the time these conservatives are done than (laughs) we were when they started. So I, I think what the Libertarian Party is really doing that catching my attention, even though I'm a little bit more socially conservative than many of them, I think that 
I'm looking at a, a possibility of a president who is he going to make the government smaller? No, because he's going to be up against two parties in Washington that want to make it bigger for their own reasons. But at the same time, he's going to have a veto opportunity. Now, and understanding it's a long shot that Gary Johnson gets elected, but if he were, it would be an opportunity for him to block some of the growth and some of the outrageous power grab that the federal government seems to be intent on these days. Yeah, well, and I agree. In fact, I have um, said on my show and and, and, uh, people in conversations that I am actively looking at the libertarian ticket. And I will say uh, the Naked and Afraid episode at the convention, basically uh, somebody's running for chairman of the National Libertarian Party and got up on stage and he, but physically looking, he's the male equivalent of Rosie O'Donnell. And he decided to strip and dance for about two minutes at the convention. And uh, I got to tell you, Sam, that that is going to make a lot of people shy away from the Libertarian Party. I think we need to give a little bit more of a chance than that, but that's kind of what the Libertarian Party has uh, has lived up to their reputation as being a non-serious, uh, can uh, you know, fringe party that the people just care about uh, their single issue voters, whether they care about uh, you know just legalizing pot or whatever their single issue is. I think they have a much broader intellectual uh, scope than that personally, but they just uh, they kind of get characterized for a reason, right? Oh yes, I, I think so. You know, you've got. <laughs> Uh, Vermin Supreme running around with his boot on his head. He's got the <laughs> alleged candidate for the national chairman. It doesn't make any kind of a speech. Just decides to show uh, all of himself off for the the crowd. <laughs> you know, I, I took great note of there were many boos and and calls for this person to be removed from the arena. I was about to say I was happy that that, that people were actually booing though. That that t- that right. made me feel better. You get down to this is your finest hour. People are actually. <laughs> Paying attention to your convention, <laughs> and this is what happened. I mean, they had this chance, right? Where Gary Johnson is in double digits almost everywhere. Uh, now, he ran back in uh, 2012. Bob Barr ran in 2008, got about 600,000 votes. Gary Johnson doubled that in 2012, and I think he's got a. I mean, I, I think he'll at least hit hit that uh, this year just because of the frustration that uh, people have with both parties, which is why Bernie Sanders, who is actually doing very well head-to-head with Donald Trump in some of these national polls, is doing well on the left. And then Donald Trump, who basically the uh, Republican electorate has decided to send a message to their conser- their pseudo-conservatives uh, and put somebody in there that really is, uh, I've called him an undocumented Republican in the past. I'm not a, I'm not a Trump, uh, I'm certainly not a Trump fan. I'm, I will never sign up to be part of anything of a hashtag with a never message on it because, you know, we grew up in the South. You never say never down here, right? Oh, no, no, never, never. Now, you're, but, you've, got a, you've got a website called All the Biscuits in Georgia, and I've been reading through it. I thought you wrote a very good piece about Memorial Day, and uh, I don't know if you got to listen in to the, 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 the preface uh, before we got you on the air, but um, what did you think about the president's visit to Memorial Day? You wrote a very thought-provoking piece, and it was probably before – you probably wrote it before uh, all the, the, the hubbub about uh, the president going to Hiroshima and laying the wreath, which I don't think is necessarily the worst thing in the world i just think the language and the tone of his speech there was really bad you took either the high road or you decided not to comment on that and wrote something completely different about memorial day so let's talk about that for a minute well i 
I just decided to, you know, Memorial Day, I think it's important to focus on the, the people who gave the ultimate sacrifice for our liberty, for our culture, for our way of life. And I, I tried not to politicize what I was saying there. You know, I guess, like you said, take the high road or whatever. But <laughs> to sort of to put it back on the attention back on the people that the the holiday is intended for and and in fact enjoying for a, a three-day weekend being Americans and doing what we enjoy doing because someone has gone and paid that price for us and so if they're going to do that if, if we're going to have men and women that are willing to put their lives on the line mm-hmm. then we sort of have a duty to them to to you know, enjoy your liberty, enjoy being an American, enjoy the the freedoms that we have because of the sacrifices those people make. Yeah, I'm going to read out. I'm going to read a little portion here. Uh, you can find this at all the biscuits in Georgia.com. Not Bisquick, Biscuits. He doesn't use Not Bisquick. Bisquick. No, no, yeah. no. I was about to say you're you're from the <laughs> South. I mean, Bisquick is probably anathema to anything in y'all's house. I oh, can imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, here's a little piece. This is a segment of it that I that I thought was really good because it wasn't preachy. It wasn't lecturing people that, oh, you're an idiot. You don't know the difference between Veterans Day and Memorial Day. Uh, so this is a segment from it that I thought was really good. You can find this at allthebiscuitsingeorgia.com. Uh, here it goes. The people we honor this weekend gave everything they had. They gave that sacrifice for us, for our country, our culture, our way of life. They died for historic downtowns, for backyard barbecues, for rock and roll music, for church on Sunday, for road trips, for high school football, for art museums, for first kisses under a pecan tree. They died for America and all that it stands for. And I just thought that passage uh, really captured kind of what I wanted um, to hear, not only from my president, but, you know, from this, the, the world of social media. And, uh, you know, because you did, you, you know, you of course you get the people that are like wishing happy Memorial Day, can't wait to go to the lake. And you're thinking, well, they're maybe not uh, approaching this with the right no- level of uh, solemnity. But, uh, you know, at the same time, why should we, we be lecturing people? And I thought your passage there really captured the uh, the essence of it. Well, I appreciate that, and that, that that was what I was trying to communicate is that we need to be mindful that these people have given us the ability to do that. The the reason we can have a backyard barbecue is because we don't have a, a tyrannical government right now that we can't eat pork, and you can't do this, you can't do that. We are. We still have liberty in this country, and it's it's not due to on the greater end to politicians and people like that. It's, it's due to the men and women who are on the ground, who are doing the fighting and the killing, and the ones who have to live with the memories of war for the rest of their lives because of you know what we've sent them to do on our behalf. Right. And that's why I just wanted to take that opportunity on Memorial Day to to keep it on them. Well, yeah, and and again, it wasn't preachy. I think it struck the perfect tone, and it was in stark contrast to, uh, you know, Obama's apologetic tone. And obviously, they're two completely different audiences. He was in Japan, and yours is, uh, you know, obviously based for uh, an American audience. But, you know, it's just the the tenor of it, and uh, being optimistic versus being um, preachy, as as Obama was, and apologetic. And I I think 
that whether or not he said the words "I apologize." First of all, he wasn't even born, so it's not really his uh, job or duty or under his purview to actually apologize. But the the entire speech from him was this. Uh, I thought it was negative uh, for the United States, and then when I read yours, it was it reassured me that uh, we do have the right messengers in this country. Well, and, and I, I do hope so. And I, and I think, you know, it's frustrating when he goes there and he talks about death falling from the sky on Hiroshima, but we don't discuss the death falling from the sky at Pearl Harbor. Right. We don't describe the death march of uh, Bataan, and we don't describe the ways that are... Or the, ra- the rape of Nanking. I mean, you know, you almost a- a- absolve the Japanese of their war crimes, when I'm pretty right. sure if you go to China, they're going to say, yeah, the, the Japanese were pretty mean to us. Uh Nobody in Manchuria would be complaining about the way that we treated the Japanese. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Sam, can you hold on for a couple minutes? i got to take a break here, but I wanted to kind of talk about some economic policy issues. And when we get back, I've been uh, doing a lot of stuff with America's Future Foundation and going to some events with Fee, and I've actually been to the Libertarian Party of DeKalb County uh, a few times for some of their meetings. So I want to hear a Libertarian uh, small-L perspective uh, on some of the uh, the issues that, that, that really are uh, going to impact us for the next uh, 48 years as we elect our new president. We'll be back with Sam Burnham, All the Biscuits in Georgia, in a couple minutes on Craigslist. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Buzz off with Lawyer Liz. Join me each week, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock, as we talk drones, Internet of Things, and technology. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare. And learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And back on Greg's List, we're chatting with Sam Burnham from All the Biscuits in Georgia.com, a website. And Sam is also a frequent guest on Second Thought, a uh, a weekly, no, it's a, a daily show from Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. on uh, Georgia Public Broadcasting. I met Sam, actually, he was a panelist, so we actually had two out of four panelists that were uh, uh, re- Republicanian or free market oriented that didn't expect government to solve all, all of our problems. And that was probably the most educational show uh, ever that, that week for uh, On Second Thought, don't you think, Sam? <laughs> uh, it, it, it was an excellent opportunity for those listeners. 
They learned a lot. They learned a lot. And uh, just off air, I was talking to David here, our station owner, and uh, I just, you know, when I see the Libertarian Party have this huge opportunity to really take advantage of very weak candidates uh, on the Republican and Democrat side, I mean, Donald Trump, we he is starting to coalesce the Republican base, but it's it's very tepid support. And there are people that really are never Hillary on the Democrat side. I think we may see very low turnout. And so I see the Libertarian Party have this huge opportunity to get into the 10 to 15 percent range, maybe even more on a national level. And that would really help their down ballot candidates. Um, so, I, you know, the Libertarian Party really needs to start talking about economic issues and and uh, some, and you know, the tax plans from Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump have both been just lambasted. Trump's would supposedly add ten ten trillion to the national deficit. Now that doesn't take into account if tax cuts actually grow the economy, which historically they have. But uh, both Trump and Hillary have basically said several different things, which would uh, make you think they both want to grow the government and cut. Well, in, Trump, in Trump's case, grow government yet cut taxes, which. That never works out. So what's, what kind of libertarian ideas do you think we should be talking about, Sam, from, from an economic perspective? Well, I, I think I would like to see, again, for the federal government to begin to contract some. It, it has not contracted ever that I can think of, but it seriously <laughs> has not contracted since looking all the way back to the New Deal and a constant government growth on that level over the years. If we're looking at the amount of money that we're spending, mm-hmm. and we're not just spending that money locally, we're spending that money globally. And if you look at, at the number of military bases that we have throughout the world, we have soldiers and sailors and airmen at at all these bases. And I'm not saying, trust me, I am, I'm for a strong defense of our country, but at some point, you know, we, we talk about... Well, Europe has all this socialized this and socialized that. Well, that's all fine and good. They don't pay the defendants, though, for the most part. When you factor in the fact that we are their army, we're their air force, we're their navy, then, yeah, they've got all this free stuff to hand out because they're not buying boats, tanks, bombs, (laughs) and putting men and and women in uniform. Exactly. And, And taking care of their own business. We're policing the world for them. And... You know, it, it's our kids are the ones that are flying back into Dover Air Force Base under our flag for for other people's wars. And I think when, when you start to cut back some of that and let's protect our own, if we're going to send our sons and daughters to die in a war, mm-hmm. let's make sure that it's for an American interest and that we're not just, you know, propping up somebody else's government or putting another strong man that's going to turn on us in 20 years. Or, or yeah, you know, somebody as that's far gonna, as yeah. those kind of economics, and I think cutting back on some of the the overreaching government regulations that we see, uh, or or bailing out big companies that bomb, and you can tell me, well, that's bad for the economy. But what's really bad for the economy is when these mom and pop operations can't get a business going or run it profitably. Because they've got to pay this tax and that tax, this mm-hmm. regulation fee. You've got to have this license, this certificate. And what happened to just being able to open a business and, and operate the, the liberty of the free enterprise system? Yeah. 
and, not, and not have to beg permission from government. To, I mean, every almost every uh, industry now you need a you need a license to be a hairstylist now. You need a license right. to be able to cut hair now. If you're using uh, some of these chemical products and you can like burn somebody's head off, then uh, I, I don't know. I, I have talked to some people in that profession because I, I thought it was ridiculous that a, a stylist needs a license. Uh, but I did talk to somebody about some of these chemical colors, you know, dying hair. So I thought, well, you know, I don't know. You burn one head, probably won't get much business. That's the free market taking care of stuff. But, uh, exactly, because works great fast. Don't go to that because I mean, you know, even if you're license doesn't mean that you're it never guarantees something you don't really have the guarantee government cannot guarantee a hundred percent safety and once people oh, understand once people understand that uh you know i'm very passionate about some of these market disruptors like lyft and uber and airbnb and uh, a lot of these apps like roadie that's coming out that's um got to be fighting with uh, in fact you know what ups i believe might have bought an interest in roadie or something like that just because they they realized that uh they were gonna um you know, be disruptive, so they might as well join the uh, the fund, so to speak. They don't want to cannibalize themselves completely, but hey, you know, can't beat them, join them, right? So I, right. I really like these new companies that are able to come out. Uh, Airbnb, uh, very similar to the uh, VRBO site. I use Airbnb all the time. I'm staying in a, a beautiful condo in Augusta this weekend for the uh, Republican Party convention doing it. Um, and, and, and on the state level, we have Republicans that are trying to put in regulations on things. If you want to sell an 85 Chevy in the state of Georgia, you want to have a small used car dealership, you've got to fill out a 20-page application. You've got to take a class that's approved by the state that will allow you to sell a car. You can't just uh, open up a car lot in your if you have a big house. I know up you guys are up in uh, Floyd County in Rome. I mean, you can't just say, hey, you know what? We're going to start selling cars out of part of our front yard. You actually have to have a separate business location. So we have all these regulations in a, a uh, on-paper conservative state that hinder competition. And you know who likes those regulations in that industry? The car dealers. They love it because it kills the competition. That's the crap that really gets me infuriated. Right. Well, it always comes back to where uh, your big corporations are the ones that are getting the benefit of the protection. And as long as that keeps happening, whether it's a a large bank, you know, everyone complains about Citibank, but then they for you know, some of these larger banks. Yep. But you pull out your credit card or you pull out your checkbook and wham, there it is. You know, <laughs> these, these smaller banks, if, if you're really upset about these bigger banks, get your, go to one of these local banks that are out there trying to make it, that are fighting against the regulations and the, the, um, the government practices that favor the larger banks, the larger mm-hmm. corporations. Shop with mom and pop people that are trying to get past these regulations. Because yeah, the, the, the big the big businesses, the WalMarts and and that bunch, they they're not hurt. If if they jack up the minimum wage or they add this permit or that permit, they've got a team of lawyers that can find them a way, a loophole, or they can just pull out their pocketbook and pay it because they can afford that. It, right. It, you know, the, people the, like the, my dad that's been running a one man operation for twenty five years that that are hurting from these regulations and whatnot. 
Well, and that, that's what happened in my industry. You know, I've been in the mortgage banking world for a while. I had uh, basically my own company uh, up until the, the crisis. And once that happened, George W. Bush passes the SAFE Act. Then Obama uh, and a Democrat, a, a socialist Congress, basically passes Dodd-Frank, which made it virtually impossible for any kind of small lender to be able to comply with just mountains and mountains and of, of documents and uh, procedural stuff that really d- it doesn't help the consumer. It doesn't protect the consumer at all. The problem with the, the mortgage crisis, it wasn't mortgage brokers that uh, caused it. It was uh, basically greed on many sides of it, including Wall Street, including underwriting, including appraisals. And uh, there were so many fingers of blame to point at, yet the mortgage brokers were the ones that took it on the chin because they were the convenient scapegoat. And I've since moved to right. a bank because the bank actually has the resources to fight uh, some of these draconian regulations. Right, and then all your local family-owned businesses that were doing mortgages are gone, yep. and all you're left with is the large bank option, because none of them went out of business, I agree. Nope. And, and the ones that were going to go out of business, they got bailed out by all the people they ran out of business, because they're still having <laughs> to find jobs to pay taxes. Yeah, you know so what? Not I've, only are you not getting uh, to compete against them anymore, you have to pay for their survival. I was about to say, you know what I've noticed is that the left has this fear of big business, and the right has a fear of big government. But really, they're the same, aren't they? D- doesn't big government beget big business, or vice versa? You can say chicken or egg, but, but they're they're in they're in bed with each other. Once a business is large enough that they've reached economies of scale, they're happy to have regulations that that keep out uh, competition. I mean, the taxi cab industry was happy with their hundred year monopoly, and uh, when Uber and Lyft and some of these other companies came knocking on the door and said, "Well, you know what? We're actually going to uh, solve a problem." Uh, and when Airbnb realized that these hotels don't have enough capacity, especially in cities like Augusta or Athens, where, you know, every now and then you have massive events like the Masters in Augusta or, or UGA football games in, uh, in Athens, that uh, they were able to solve a problem. Now, the hotel and motel don't think it's fair that Airbnb is able to skirt some of the taxes and regulations that they've foisted on themselves. But I would say they need to look in the mirror and blame themselves. Oh, yes, I, I think they certainly do, because you, you're not opposing this regulation. I, I don't think we should start taxing Airbnb like a hotel. <laughs> I think we should start taxing hotels like Airbnb. <laughs> you know, Wouldn't that be nice? It, yeah, I mean... It, it's like you always want to uh, drag someone else into misfortune. We're, we never find a way to make things better for everyone. Exactly. It's like we have to drag people down. Yeah, I mean, you have to. We have to lower themselves. We have to lower the competition instead of raising it. Imagine if a taxi cab, which had the ability to have a uh, obviously a huge fleet of vehicles, if they had thought, you know what, maybe we're going to devise an app as well and start showing accountability to our clients, allowing them to rate the cabs and uh, giving them an idea of when the the taxi may show up and have it all uh, in this convenient little package on a smartphone. Imagine if that had been the cabs. Approach to uh, the competition from Uber and Lyft and Sidecar and some of these other ones. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that have been a, a better world we'd live in? Oh, certainly would. And, and all it takes is a little bit of innovation on the people's part. If you own a cab company and you have to compete with Uber or Lyft, you look at what they're doing that's successful and you find out how to adapt it to your business. 
that's free enterprise. That's that's how it works. Businesses are always going to grow and change, and we hate change, but a lot of times it brings about good good things for us. And if that's what's going to happen, then yes, absolutely, shift your business model a little bit and do something that you know is working for someone else and see how it works for you. Exactly. History history is littered with companies that were unable or unwilling to adapt, and now they're out of business. Sam Burnham, allthebiscuitsingeorgia.com. Thank you for joining us today, man. I really enjoyed it, and I hope to see you soon on the same panel uh, over there on NPR as we work to make NPR great again. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much, uh, Greg. All right, man. We'll see you in a couple minutes. We have Leo Smith from the Georgia Republican Party scheduled to call in talking about the uh, upcoming Augusta Convention. We'll see you in a couple minutes on Greg's List. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. 
Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's Web Radio.com. Just finished up with Sam Burnham, all the biscuits in Georgia.com. Interesting uh, discussion. A lot of the libertarian leaning people always describe themselves as small L's, frankly, because the big L libertarian party embarrasses them. <laughs> it's kind of, I got to say, uh, going forward, perhaps Republicans will be small R's and big R Republicans. I don't know. If the. Uh, the current status quo doesn't change, and I mean change for the positive, change in a good way, then we may very well see that, or we may well, or may just see a lot more people identifying as independents. You know, that may, I, I believe most, if you look at it, independents, I think 70 to 80% of them are disgruntled Republicans that'll normally vote Republican, but uh, they just can't be counted on to show up at the polls because they have become so. Uh, I guess disenfranchised by voting for people who promise one thing, then go to D.C. or go to the state house and do the opposite. Um, I've heard this comment many times when asked when I ask elected officials why they can't cut spending, why you can't just have an across the board five percent cut in every department. Well, every every spending program has its own constituency, Greg. So I mean, you're talking about people's jobs. So it's people's jobs that we would be worried about if we cut government spending. So a country that's nearly $20 trillion in debt and sends money overseas to fight battles and fund spending programs in other countries can just keep on hiring people for the roles here, for the the employment roles here, without any cause or concern that those jobs may actually cost a lot more than their economic benefit. Certainly some of these jobs that have massive pensions, those end up costing a lot more in the long run if you look at it. And it's always the taxpayer that bails out these companies. They run out of money, their pension fund goes bankrupt, and then it's the United States government or treasury that takes them over, and it's us, the taxpayer, that ends up having to foot the bill. I have said on a few occasions that the only way we could actually ever start paying down the debt is to somehow balance the budget. We had a balanced budget in the late 90s that was very temporary under Obama. He, Obama brags about cutting the deficit in half, and his, high, his lowest deficit is about $500 billion a year. That would have been the highest deficit under the George W. Bush era. So it's all relative. When somebody says they cut something by 50%, well, if it was over a trillion dollars, then cutting it by 50% really doesn't do a whole hell of a lot of good now, does it? Once interest rates normalize, the debt service is going to double or quadruple, which uh, eventually the debt service alone will be over a trillion dollars, uh, given the low interest rate environment that we have now. So those are my concerns. A country $20 trillion in debt certainly does not have money 
to be paying for the rest of the world. Joining us right now is the uh, Minority Engagement Director from the Georgia Republican Party, Mr. Leo Smith. Leo, thanks for calling in today. I know we got a big convention coming up this uh, weekend, and I've been keeping up with you on uh, some of these uh, media channels like CNN, where you've um, been outspoken and said that Donald Trump may be able to attract uh, uh, minorities to the Republican Party. So welcome to Greg's. How are you today? I'm doing well, Gregory. It's, it's awesome to be on your show with you. Looking forward to this convention. It's going to be exciting because we're at a crossroads, in, um, not only in America, but particular, particularly with our party. And I think that, you know, it's apropos that we should have a little focus on Friday at noon with millennials, minorities, and mavericks leading the way before we even get to gavel call later that, that day. Yep. No, that's pretty cool. So we've got a luncheon coming up, then we have a big party that night. There's also the other uh, festivities going on at the uh, Republican Party. We're going to make Augusta a party town. I, uh, I'm i excited about it. The lunch has um, the uh, actress and uh, conservative activist Kirsten Koppel as one of the uh, the keynote speakers. I think she's going to be very uh, interesting to hear. Um, what, uh, what else is on the docket for uh, Friday? Well, I mean, as you mentioned, um, Kirsten Koppel is an exciting uh, young person who um, has done tremendous amount of work and campaigns from Newt Gingrich to Jeb Bush, right to Rise Back, to um, uh, her own work with the Libra Initiative, um, Cato. Um, she's done incredible work, and she continues to do political consulting. That's a little forward thinking. <coughs> and uh, she has lots of investment in the Latino community down in Miami. And it's going to be great to hear her perspective. So, uh, yes, she is also um, the peppy uh, um, um, young lady who was uh, the lead role in, I guess, that 90s movie, Bring It On, which was a cheerleader movie. <laughs> we need cheerleaders now, but we need some with some edge. And uh, so she'll bring that energy, that little Miami uh, swagger to our event, and we'll lead it right on into our Friday evening political smoke event that we're going to be doing um, at the Partridge that uh, yours truly, Greg Williams, will be helping us out by keeping the, the crowd lively in conversation and uh, uh, engaging us with his own political humor and candor as well. So we're looking forward to that. But yep. even before we get to the evening, uh, which features uh, cigar, uh, some cigar giveaways, premium cigars, and scotch tastings, and all that kind of stuff at the Partridge Inn. Before we get to that, another one of our speakers that we've acquired for our luncheon is Karen Agnes. Um, and Karen uh, may be well known as she's a Fox um, contributor, a regular um, contributor on Fox News, and she, uh, another young, bright, um, very policy-oriented conservative woman. She started a group called the Network of Enlightened Women, which is an American organization for conservative university women. She's done a tremendous amount of, of work, uh, been covered in Time magazine. She's on a, she started with the Independent Women's Forum. So she's going to bring a powerful message on, on millennials, uh, women, and effects of the media focus on women candidates and, and that sort of thing. So it's going to be a really power-packed um, presentation of two keynotes. Uh, we have a special message from Newt Gingrich um, being streamed in during that, during the uh, 
during the event. Right. He personally wasn't able to make, make it, but he is going to be delivering a special message, particularly to Georgia, um, the 2016 campaign, um, our minority engagement effort in Georgia, and the importance of that minority engagement effort yeah. um, will be edified by Newt Gingrich. So that's going to be interesting to have him uh, stream in that way. And then we're going to do a panel discussion with local media people um, and our, you know, various guests from state senators to um, a national congressman to uh, national media personalities will be there um, from across the nation. Even some minority engagement experts from Kentucky have, uh, you know, folks have um, bought tickets to this event. The tickets are going really fast, so if you haven't done it, get your ticket now. You can still get the uh, pre-price, the uh, early bird price for both the general convention tickets as well as its minority engagement events. So I'm looking forward to some robust conversation that is cutting edge and pushing, pushing our establishment and including anyone established, including myself, pushing us to a new vision for the Georgia GOP. Well, and, and if you look at it, in the uh, the Senate and governor election in 2014 in Georgia, we basically doubled the uh, the black vote uh, here. And Correct. Georgia more and more gets um, put into the category of, oh, this state will be purple due to demographic changes within <laughs> four to eight years. And uh, I think they're ignoring the fact that uh, the, the hamster wheel that is the Democrat Party is starting to wear a little thin for the black community. And uh, some of the work that you've been doing in the Georgia GOP, I've, I've got to commend you for it. Uh, and you've been unafraid to go on some of these shows and actually talk uh, positive about Donald Trump when that's been very hard for uh, some factions of the Republican Party. So I commend you on that. Well, well, thank you, Gregory, and thanks for knowing that, because I think, you know, this is the time for choosing, and not choosing perfection, but choosing progress. And, you know, I just had a, got off a conversation with someone else where I kind of described the state of our party as somewhat crumbled earth, um, meaning a lot of disruption is occurring. It doesn't mean that while this disruption is uh, occurring, you can't plant new seeds. You know, the best time to work the ground is when the ground has been turned, right, in the fall. And then we get ready for spring planting. So here we are. We're a new chicken, sort of like, you know, the Republican Party. We've got a lot of cackling going on, for sure. But we have an opportunity here to give birth to new eggs. And that's what we ought to focus on, is the opportunities to start new things within all this robust conversation and this disruption. So I acknowledge the disruption, but I'm not afraid of the disruption because there's opportunity to come out of this, and we need to embrace it. Well, I agree with that. Uh, Leo Smith, Georgia Republican Party, I look forward to seeing you on Friday. Augusta is where this great event is happening. You can still register uh, online. I believe early registration is done, so you will have to pay the uh, price. If you uh, if you want to be a visitor to the convention, you can just show up and uh, attend some of the individual events. Uh, you do need to pre-register some of them are sold out, it looks like. so. Uh, that is correct. Some are. Uh, a minority engagement luncheon in the, um, in the evening event, which we are you know, sort of promoting um, as we go here. Yep. Um, those events still have tickets available. I'd imagine that you know, at least the luncheon has a chance of selling out by tomorrow evening yep. um, at the pace that we're on now that our first e-blast went out last week. Gotcha. Um, we're partnering with quite a few people, which you'll learn more about who our partners are for this event yep. as we get closer to it. All right. But um, certainly grab the tickets while you can, folks. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done as far as delegate selection um, and also just uh, consideration of the future of the party as it relates to rules. Right. 
All so, right. Well, um, Leah, looking we've got... Looking forward to this. Looking forward to seeing everybody in Augusta, which is a great, exciting town on a oh, river well, um, with a great gotta, nightlife. So we've got to wrap it up here. You can visit it at uh, eventbrite.com and georgiagop.org. Thanks for joining us, Leah Smith and Sam Burnham. We'll see you next week on Greg's List. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.